Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. A Frisbee is a 175-gram plastic disc that's a staple on beaches and on college quads on nice days. Ultimate Frisbee is a fast-paced, high-flying sport played by some of the most talented and underrated athletes in the world right now. It's hard not to get addicted to seeing the incredible flying catches or layout defensive plays, so I'll admit, I'm biased. Having played Ultimate myself for years, this is the niche sport that is closest to my heart, and today, my guest and I will show you why. My name is Tommy Butler, and you're listening to The Ocho. Hello, everybody. I'm here with Max Shepard, professional ultimate Frisbee player for the Pittsburgh Thunderbirds and a 2019 American Ultimate Disc League All-Star. That is a title. Max, thank you so much for joining me here. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So for those who are unaware, would you mind giving me a elevator pitch for ultimate? What is the sport of ultimate Frisbee? The sport of ultimate Frisbee is a combination, I would say, of multiple uh, sports in one. Um, like I said, it has like the movement kind of uh, and running like soccer, but yet like the scoring like football, but not the contact kind of deal. So they like kind of how the field mapped out in the EUDL field is it's um so there's 20 yard end zones and an 80 yard field, so it's played on a regular uh, good old football field, and uh, basically it starts off kind of like a kickoff, but more or less with a gigantic throw, uh, the pool is what it's called. Um, and then it goes to the offense on the offensive side, and then play continues. There's no, um, there's no, cl- there's there's a time clock, 12 minute quarters. But like I said there's no shot clock, so it's basically you can you can move down the field and score however you please. Um, and like I said before, it is non-contact. Kind of, there's there is some contact, um, <laughs> but it's a non-contact sport, and there are referees. Uh, it being a professional league, um, and it is super exciting, super exciting, high scoring. Um, and it's, it, I would say it favors the offense. <laughs> As Max said, Ultimate is a pretty easy sport to understand in its most basic form. Many of us have played Ultimate versions of other games, like Ultimate Football, for example. One person has the disc, and they can't move while they have it, so you have to pass it around in order to score. Now, if the offense drops the disc, or the defense manages to knock it away from the offense, the other team picks it up wherever it lands, and then they start playing offense. There's no difference between offense and defense. Everyone plays both ways until they're subbed out. The AUDL YouTube page actually has a great Ultimate 101 series that teaches you all the rules as well as some of the more intricate strategies in the game. And I highly recommend checking it out if you don't know much about Ultimate and you'd like to learn more. All right, back to the interview. How did you first get into Ultimate? Oh man, I first got into Ultimate by playing in like a in like a pickup league kind of like a church pickup league when I was like super young. Um, and what ended up happening was uh, I just like I was playing like baseball, football, not like football, football for fun, but I was playing like tennis, soccer, basketball, 
uh, diehard baseball player, and um, I was playing like travel for everything. I was playing travel ball for everything, and then I think my eighth, in eighth grade, a bunch of my friends uh, were always a year above me, so they all got into ultimate like when they were freshmen in high school, and I was an eighth grader. And like I had played before, I could throw a flick, I could throw a backhand, I could throw a bunch of weird things that you know people couldn't usually throw, and um, and then my going into my freshman year. I like decided I was like, you know what? I'm like good at these other things, but like I don't enjoy them as much as when I do when I play ultimate. And uh, my dad was my baseball coach for a super long time, and my soccer coach. You know, like I have three other siblings who are insanely competitive, which is the reason why I'm fit. But um, basically, I quit everything for ultimate. First practice this school day of my freshman year. Most of my friends were sophomores, um, and it really just stuck to there. I played all four years in high school, uh, all four years in college, and. Here I am. What made you go pro? So you played in college as well. You went to Edinburgh. What? And I believe while you were still at Edinburgh, you were playing for the Thunderbirds. Correct. So the first year at T-Birds was in um, 2015. So I think I was a junior, I think. Junior and senior, I overlapped. So it, it's madness. It's crazy. So you have like, the club <laughs> season, the pro season, um, and you have the college season. So it's basically just like a full-time, just like, all you can play ultimate kind of season um so yeah i did play pro um in the meantime of also playing college ball which is like kind of they overlap a little bit so like the end of the college season is like kind of the beginning of the pro season and the end of the pro season is the beginning of club season so it's it's crazy it's absolutely crazy um but how i got into it was it was like when i was 18 years old and i was in high school uh and they a bunch of other pro teams were around not it wasn't as big because there was two competing uh, MLU and AUDL uh, professional ultimate teams that are being developed. Ultimate uh, leagues are being developed, and um, what ended up happening was the MLU could no longer you know keep their uh, league going. I guess you'd say instead of going into detail about that. Um, and how I got also into it is like I wasn't gonna go out to like the Columbus Cranes or like the, one of the um, I think it was the Buffalo Hunters. I was like I just wanted to go try out. Like I didn't really care. And I found out that um, in 2015, the team was coming to Pittsburgh, and I was like, oh my goodness, I know all these players are going to try out. I'm going to try out too. I'm super young. I didn't really care. I just wanted to get better and ended up making the team in the first year. And I was like, oh man, I have to play college too while I'm like, trying <laughs> to do this. So I, uh, I kind of made a committed myself to the college season first before playing Ultimate, or playing Ultimate for Pro Ultimate. So I was like, all right, we're just going to do the junior and senior year. Well, assuming I would make it the next year, my senior year. Um, I was like, until college season's over, I'm not going to play pro. So, stuck to my college team uh, and played a lot of points. Uh, it was it was crazy. The beginning of my uh, my high school and college career was a lot of playing, a lot of a lot of failing, which is really good, which brought me, which made me a better player in the end. All the failures that you know that people don't see is you had to be really bad, the kind of bad. Like I was good, but I wasn't like the best. Um, but I threw a lot of turnovers, a lot of experiences, and and that's what takes you on to a better path. But to answer your question, yes. I found out about it through um, basically the, the network of ultimate people, and a person came to Pittsburgh, and I just was like, I'm still, I'm going to trials. So. <laughs> awesome. I remember when the uh, AUDL and the MLU were both uh, competing. I'm My whole family are Boston sports fans, so... I gravitated more to the MLU with the white caps. I still have a white cap shirt. Uh, 
but no way. it's it's old and it's white so i work out in it it's got pit stains it's gross but hearing that the boston glory was coming to the uh yeah the AUDL. obviously i've been a pittsburgh fan because i live in central pa most of my friends are pittsburgh and there was no boston team so now you and boston are gonna have to fight for my love but anyway <laughs> i know right like so, uh yeah that new team is going to boston too seeing how the uh sport has grown has been so cool uh what's it like playing in a very it's a relatively new game started in the mid 1900s as or the very beginnings were in like the 1960s what's it like playing for a team in the very first year in a league that's only existed for a few years at that point oh man the perspective of that is like kind of crazy like i understand it started in the 60s that they were like playing parking lots and like they weren't even wearing cleats at those times, and they were just like using whatever disc they that they could get a hold of, basically. Um, and there like there wasn't that many teams around. You know, it could have started in college, uh, the college scene, and uh, super popular from there. All right, prepare for a quick history of the game of ultimate. So, flying disc toys got their start with frisbees pies in Connecticut. That's spelled with an I E at the end. Local Yale students would get a pie from Frisbee's, and once they were done eating it, they would toss around the metal tin the pie came in. The idea eventually became the Pluto Platter, the very first plastic flying disc, complete with all the planets' names written along the outside of the disc, including the Sun and Pluto. This was the early 50s, so we'll give them a break on not knowing that Pluto isn't a planet. Fast forward to the mid-60s, when the first Ultimate Frisbee game was played at Columbia High School in New Jersey. By 1975, the first collegiate tournament was held at Yale, featuring eight college teams. Through the 1970s, Frisbee was exported to the world, culminating in the WFDF WUFDF, or the World Flying Disc Federation's creation, as the international governing body of disc sports in 84. By 2012, there were over 5 million Ultimate players in the U.S., and the American Ultimate Disc League was born. All of this has happened in 60 years, and Ultimate is slated to become an official Olympic sport in 2024. Just imagine where it will be in the near future. I know it's kind of crazy how it's all generated and like become like a super athletic sport. Like there's old videos of people um, like not really throwing flicks correctly or backhands, like the dad backhands and stuff like that. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy how that all turned out. Um, but how it's evolved is just like. Like, I joined, I would say, like, in the modern era. Like, I think the modern era definitely started in, like, the mid-2000s. Like the, the mid Just, like, personal personal opinion here. Um, like, the, the modern era of, like, the 2010s, and, like, that just blew up out of nowhere when, like, both the clubs came out. And club was huge. Club was huge back in, like, the early 2000s. So, like, that's kind of getting in the modern era where people could really, really throw very well um, in all-round play. Like, even if you had, like, a... Even if you're just like, even if you're still like raw, even if you just have raw athleticism, you still wouldn't make a team, right? But like the pure throwers are like the pure throwers. So it's crazy to see like today's day and age of ultimate, like I would consider the modern area. It's just like everyone can do everything now. If people are starting younger, it's it's crazy. I started when I was 14 years old, so it's like kids are starting even younger than that. When I was playing in a, a youth club nationals, I played four years of uh, at youth club nationals when I was in my youth age. Um, like the Seattle programs and um, Southern programs were all blowing up at the youth scene because the kids are starting at 12, 11, 10 years old. So all those kids now are like 18, 20, and they're just insanely, insanely good. Um, 
it reminds me a lot of myself, how I was myself when I was that age. Yeah, I just think it's really interesting to hear about what the what professional is like because I played for the B team at Penn State for a year in uh, my freshman year. One of the tournaments I played in, uh, we played against a high school team that was local, and they yeah. flattened us. It was like we couldn't yeah. touch them. <laughs> it's wild. It's really wild how people are starting earlier and earlier and. They're going like they're allowed to go to college tournaments, but there's nothing against them going yeah. to college. Other than just like and being brave enough to. I went to college tournaments as a high schooler, and it's a way different ball game. Yeah, it's crazy, it's crazy. Funnily enough, after we finished recording, we discovered that the two of us just barely missed playing each other. This tourney that I was talking about at Penn State, winter 2015, when Max had played at Penn State in 2013, and then the year after me in 2016. To be fair. I was on the B team, so Max would have likely played Penn State's A team and not me personally, but still, small world. So I would say the modern era and how it's developed has been crazy. Uh, and in terms of like sports history, like you know the football when it first started, it was kind of like kind of like the same thing, kind of until it really blew up um, on the scene. It just takes a lot of sacrifice and a lot and a lot of money. It, at the end of the day, it is a business in this league, and they care about profits. They want they want the league to be successful, but. To answer your question, the the generational of like the beginning of the pro leagues, it's gonna be weird to look back on when like I'm like, you know, 40, 50, 60 years old and be like, oh my gosh, I started in the beginning of a, you know, a big boom in the ultimate scene. So yeah. it's revolutionary, actually, pretty revolutionary. It it's so exciting to see what what the future holds for this sport. Uh, before we get too far into what the future looks like. Let's talk more about what the actual game is for those who don't know. So your position is sort of a hybrid between the two uh, kind of defined positions of cutter and handler. Can you explain what a cutter is is versus a handler? So my role is defined as a cutter. How, like, the defined roles we talked about is basically just like, okay, you have cutters downfield, usually three or four or five cutters, that will basically demand the disc and gain yards. Kind of like a wide receiver does in, in football, basically. And like, kind of like how wings are in soccer, where they're just like, there to gain yards, there to get the ball in space, uh, to gain the most yards as possible. So, and then the handlers are more like the distributioners. They know how to just work the way on the disc. They can throw extremely well. They won't turn the disc over because value, it's, the disc is super valuable, super, super valuable. Unlike football, that has like downs and stuff. You can just like, you can throw out of balance and you're like, all right, next set of downs, here we go. Um, so, but ultimately, like you said earlier, as soon as that disc touches the ground, it's the, the roles completely switch. You just now the offense becomes defense, defense becomes offense, and you gotta flip that switch. But um, to answer more of the question about the the cutters and handlers, is that there's like two separate two separate entities in one role, and um, and the really really good cutters know how to do both. So the really good cutters know how to throw as well. They can throw you know the full field 70, 80 yards at a time. Uh, or even throw, you know, cross-field stuff like I do. Um, but like I said, those defined roles are what, like, slots you in this position. Because everyone's built differently. Like, if you're, like, a position in football or soccer, right? Everyone is, uh, has different skills and abilities and any other strengths and weaknesses. So others are throwing really well, cutting very well. And I think that everyone at a pro level is really good, and they can basically throw anything, really. <laughs> um, I mean, on a big field, it's hard, especially when it's windy. But, um... Those are the two defined roles um, in itself. So we have cutters, which are, as you said, basically wide receivers, if you're a football fan, and then the handlers, which are almost a quarterback, but 
yeah again it's it's a different kind of game that you have to be perfect if you're a handler uh or really anyone who's throwing the disc needs to be perfect in order to keep scoring points uh i i agree sorry to jump in but i have a quick word from our sponsor The Super Bowl is here, and the NBA is in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. Will the Chiefs go back-to-back? Can Brady claim ring number 7? BetOnline has all the action you need for the big game, plus hundreds of prop bets to keep the whole game entertaining. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season, from game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to Bet Online today and use promo code Armchair to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. So you mentioned earlier that Ultimate is a high-scoring game. What is a typical score, and how impactful is each individual goal by the end of the game? So it's kind of like football, and like uh, every quarter, the, the every quarter that goes by, the opposite team that started to pull that received will switch. So it's like it's a really an advantage to score late in that quarter. You kind of get that what they call breaks, right? So when the offense gets broken by the defense, meaning when the offense turns the disc over and the defense capitalizes on that, and they end up scoring when the offense was supposed to score, that's called a break in the game of ultimate. So like there's many breaks that people call and people like use that term. Uh, so it's like the end of a quarter, end of a quarter situation. Um, if you if you started the quarter receiving, correct? And you're you're gonna get pulled to with like ten seconds left or whatever, um, and you're supposed to score, and the defense ends up stopping you. Like usually, what happens is like the classic like hell mary ball goes up, and you gotta try and come down with it. So those are those mini breaks that kind of happen. So it's like the end of the quarter, those those sky balls or those deep shots, those hell marys, those kind of count sometimes. So like it all depends on who started that quarter. But um, it's kind of answer your question. That's kind of how. The, the system works with uh, breaks and scoring, but to answer your question, yes, every point matters to the absolute T. Um, you know, it's like every sport, every inch matters that you cover, every player that you matter, it 1,000% matters um, in the end, because especially those end of the quarter situations, uh, an extra point could be a tie at the end of the game, or if you get four mini breaks, kind of, I was describing at this end of quarter situation, you could be up. Uh, say 18 to 22 instead of being tied at 18 to 17, 18, and you need that hell mary. Um, if that kind of makes sense in how scoring works, uh, so there's a lot of scoring up. Like I would say, the average AUDL score hovers depending on how windy it is um, around that 35 to 45 mark. There's some been some very high scoring games. Um, wow. Obviously rules rules change. Yeah, in like my first and second year, our offense was absolutely insane. If we would put up like we set the record for points scored against another team. Like I think it was like 46 points against the team. It was just, it was madness. But over the years, people have got more competitive, and those gigantic blowouts just don't happen anymore. Uh, a lot of teams are very well developed. Um, so I would say like 20, like 18, 22, um, like around the 20s is probably where it lies. So around like 40 or 50 points total, I would say. Uh, but if there's like, a, if it's like a winless game. It's an offensive-driven game. It's madness. It's just puck central because there's so much space. But um, so I would say like hovering around the 40 or 50 mark would be like the like the, uh, the scoring potential of an NBA game. Awesome. Personally, as well as playing for the uh, Thunderbirds, you were drafted into the first 
AUDL All-Star game and ended up being that game's MVP, uh, as well as the second place finisher for the uh, like the 2019 MVP overall. What's it like being a star uh, in a new sport? I would say it's not as... Hmm, what's the word for it? I wouldn't say... It, it's cool in, in the sense of it to be like recognized by a lot of people uh, um, to start by that, like getting that honors of that, like those two honors are great. I, it, it hurt me to be second runner-up uh, for the league MVP, but uh, Ben Yacht, who won it, is a fantastic player. He deserved every, every, every bit of it. He won the championship for his team. Um, but in a new league, being a star, it, it's good. Like, a lot of people recognize me, and I can talk about the sport more. Um, and during, like, the All-Star Games, the amount of kids, uh, we did a kids clinic uh, the same day before for, like, a couple hours. And afterwards, it was so good to teach all those kids. It was so good to interact with them. And um, it was so good after the game to talk to some of them. Like, hey, you could, this could be you one day. And, like, in, like, 17, 18 years, this could be you with being at the All-Star Games. Like, you keep up with it. So it's about just being like a role model for other people and like seeing what you can really do. Um, but like I said, it's just it's just a grind in itself, and you got to dedicate yourself to it. So being that kind of image is good for people. I really like it. Um, and other times it's like kind of it's like not annoying, but like sometimes you just want to be on your own and do your own thing. And people come in and ask you all these questions. You're like, it's not not the time right now. <laughs> like <laughs> it's not the time right now. Sorry. Um, and other times, like most of the time, I'm willing to take the sacrifice for other people. Uh, to reach out to other people and um, certainly uh, just give my time and effort to be that role model for them. If they have any questions, I answer them. If anyone messages me on any social media, I, I definitely reach out to them and ask them my opinion about uh, throwing or whatever I can reach out to. So being that image is great in a new league. It's, it's awesome. Like I said, there's not that much pressure. It's not like I'm in like, you know, state pharma commercials like that. From the homes <laughs> and, <you know>? So <laughs> it's like, it, it, the pressure's there and I feel it. I know there's a there's lots more eyes watching me nowadays, but um, it's it's good it has has pros and cons. So you don't necessarily have to cover your face and worry about paparazzi when you go out, but there's also no. <laughs> thank thank God, thank God. <laughs> um, there are stories that they're like, I, like I walked into a Panera one time down uh, down in Pitt, University of Pittsburgh, and a couple of people like a couple of people working there just recognized my face, uh, and I was like, here, like contact me i'll give you free tickets to a game like it's awesome to meet you kind of thing so i'm glad those people went to the game and it was great so it's like the random thing the people that see you by face and like oh hey he plays in the ADL. he's max shepherd uh it didn't help that i was wearing like um gear that had my name on it didn't help either like, oh my gosh is it is that really him um but no like it, it's great to be that image and to provide and like to to give out my resources and give out um whatever i can to help this people grow even more Awesome. If we're speaking of your success in 2019, how much of that would you say you chalk up to those bright orange cleats that you wore all year? <laughs> mm, those orange cleats in Puma have been like just an image of mine, just like what I always wear. This I can confirm. If you check out Shep's highlight reel, it's very easy to keep track of him because even when his number, one, isn't visible, his neon orange cleats stand out. And the new ones I was going to wear for this season were even brighter orange, so you would not have been able to <laughs> Um, but no, I've always rocked orange Puma cleats. I had a phase in college. I went to a couple different cleat brands. It just wasn't. It just wasn't. It just wasn't me. You just. I don't like big bulky cleats. You know. You don't jump as high. You feel sluggish. You feel too heavy when you run. Um, I'm very particular about my cleats. So I try out a lot. I buy multiple pairs, and um, I think that it's kind of a personality thing. I think for everyone, it really is. 
So, but no, I've been I've been using Primo my entire life. Probably, man, it's ten years now, eleven years with him with this Primo brand. So I love it. I love him so much. Awesome. Got to get sponsored. Yeah, I I hope so. I've tried. I've tried reaching out. I can only get so up. I am a branch of uh, the Puma uh, company, but um, I heard other people in the uh, in the wet work of the AUDL hierarchy have tried to reach out to them, and I have not heard back yet. Yeah, of course. Uh, speak or as well as playing in the AUDL, you were selected for the USA National Ultimate Team uh, for 2020. Obviously, we weren't able to have that season. But could you tell me a bit about how ultimate works as an international sport? So as international sport, there is a international, um, more like worldwide, uh, more like I could say, yeah, worldwide company called or organization called WIFDF. WIFDF again is the World Flying Disc Federation. They govern all disc sports internationally. Uh, and they kind of run all of the events for the international for the people that make those international teams for all countries around the world. So it's really a fantastic event. And they hold events every year, and uh, it was supposed to happen in 2020, and they got postponed to 2021, and they finally canceled it like a week and a half ago. So, kind of how that goes into is basically with different announces these events, and they usually have a schedule about every other year, every four years. Um, the team that I made was really unique because um, it was it was just an open team. It was best men, the best women, the best mixed players go to that tournament, and it's every four years. Um, and I happen to be very, very fortunate to make that team. I've been trying to make one of those teams for, man, since I was like 14, 15 years old. So a 10-year process, um, and I was cut twice from two of those international teams, and I was injured for one of the tryouts. Injured for one of the tryouts. So to finally get to that point and it being canceled is like heartbreaking. But the best thing that I could say about it is like um, sometimes it's the best thing that never happens to you. The reason where you're at. So it's like maybe it's not my maybe it might be a dream that I would be able to accomplish you know like even it's just like even worse to just being on the team like making the roster and then just like oh it's canceled so it's like we don't get any like as of right now we haven't received any gear or anything about that it's just like hey there's an event next year and you can try out for that team and hopefully it happens in 2022 like no promises because of COVID everything going on so it's been a journey, so I, I guess I'm going to keep pushing through it and make it a dream come true one day to try and compete on a national or international level. So you are still planning on uh, trying out for that 2022 season? Yeah, I will try out for that team. Like I said, there's a there's an application process for that, so if you want to try and compete on that level, you have to go like a like filtration system of how it goes. So it's like thousands of applicants can set in, and then they pick a select 50. Well, for my trial, it was a select 50. Uh, for the East Trout and for the West, and if you're good enough and fortunate enough, um, and they feel like you're a good pick for that selection, obviously there's tons of tons of decisions they have to make, and there's so many good players out there, so many, so many talented players. I did not think I was going to make that team whatsoever, um, but with enough determination and goodwill, you, you find your ways. You find your ways on it. Like I would have been perfectly content if I didn't make that team, but I tried my hardest. I gave all the effort I could. Give all the effort I could, and I was fortunate enough to make that team, and I wasn't going to waste that opportunity whatsoever. So, yeah, I will be trying out until I make one of these teams and get a gold medal. I will keep grinding away every single day. I work out every single day if I have to. Well, good luck. <laughs> Thank you. I have faith that you would. For what makes an ultimate player? What do you look for in uh, someone that hmm. you think might be a good ultimate player? I would say the start of like. 
just a raw athlete. I think a raw athlete can be transformed. Um, like I said, the throwing technique of a flick, and you probably have experienced this, is super difficult uh, to get that mechanic down. And everyone's different. Everyone has a different mechanic when they throw a flick in the back end. Like I said, that mechanic is so difficult. So, like, in order to play defense, if you're a raw athlete, you can definitely get – you can make your way – you can make your money in your business in the UDL. You know, just getting Ds and um, being a contributing player in that aspect. But I would say just raw athleticism. You, know, you can you can just keep scraping away and keep chiseling them and forming them and um, making them a good, great player that way. Um, so I'd say raw athleticism is that question. Butting in here to place the following clip, Max and I continued chatting after the official end of the podcast, and I'm glad I forgot to stop recording because we started talking about his experience after the 2019 AUDL All-Star Game when he learned that he had been named MVP. I'll let him take it from here. The interview at the end of the game, I didn't realize how many people were actually watching that, and like they had like 4,000 people in the stands and on the field listening to that, and they also had like over like 15,000 people on the video of stadium. I'm just like, oh my goodness. I'm never watching this interview again because I don't even want to know what I sound like. Um, but that was like the one time I felt like actually nervous like because I had no idea. More like a like, background story uh, to that is like I had no idea there was even an all-star MVP first off. I just like was like wanted to play or whatever. I was like, cool, let's go play. Because like I was around all the other all-stars. So we're just like, you know, BSing or whatever. Um, and at the end of the game, I didn't realize what my stats were. With it. I was just like, I was out here to have fun and throw goofy stuff. And um, I realized I had the highest plus and minus. And at the end of the game, I knew the I knew the Madison guy because like I, I've been in that stadium. I knew the announcer, and he's like, "You need to come with me." And I'm like, "What? Why?" And he's like, "You won the MVP." And I'm like, "What? There's an MVP?" <laughs> he's like, "Yeah, you need to go to Leffler right now." He was like the the the, uh, the media guy that you do. He's like, "I was like, are you serious?" Like I literally froze. I'm like, "You're kidding, right?" He's like, "No, we're gonna do pictures. We're gonna do all this stuff." And I'm like, "Unbelievable." And I have the trophy downstairs still, um, and it, it's crazy. Like I, I got choked up. I was actually like, I never get nervous for anything because I played Ultimate for so long. Um, I've been recorded so many times or whatever, and and I don't even watch that. Don't even watch that interview anymore because it's like there were so many people that were watching that. I was like, oh god, I don't want to know what I said. It, it was a great experience, and it's kind of it's kind of neat being the only one so far because no one else can say they have it. It's great. <laughs> But no, I wanted the uh, I wanted the grand all. I wanted to be like the first player to have the MVP, the league MVP, and the All Star MVP. That would have been sweet. So, like I said, that runner up last year motivated. You can always get. You can always be the first person to get both in one year. Still, uh, I could. Yeah, also, it's the, hard though. If you manage to hold on to, I'm still the only one who's ever won the All Star MVP. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I want to win that trophy for a while. I've been told to remind you again that if you are planning on potentially betting on the Super Bowl this upcoming weekend, to check out Bet Online. Again, do you think the Chiefs will go back to back? Can Brady claim ring number seven? Is he officially the GOAT? I don't know if you can bet on that last one, but Bet Online has all the action you need for the big game, plus hundreds of prop bets to keep the whole game entertaining. Head to Bet Online today and use promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Again, that's promo code armchair, bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Uh, while I was doing my research, I came across your highlight reel from 2019, which uh, for one year alone was a full 22 minutes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's absolutely insane. Uh, with a highlight reel like that, I'm interested to hear some of your favorite career moments. 
Oh man, probably from 2019 or all time career moments. All, all time. All time. Probably my most uh, my most famous highlight and my probably still my favorite one. I always laugh at every time I see it. Um, was my first ever Midwest Championship when I was uh, still like, I think I was 18 or 19 uh, in 2015, and I just like. I, I didn't get many touches during the game. I took everyone for granted and um, not for granted, but used everyone to my ability. And uh, it's the clip where I throw that no look hammer to Mark Fedorenko. It, it makes me laugh every time I watch it. I don't know like how to react to that because it's just so absurd. During this play, which you can find on YouTube by searching Max Shepard's spinning hammer assist if you want to see it for yourself, you can hear the crowd in the background counting down as Max cuts to the left, catches the disc, while facing away from the end zone, spins and hucks a hammer, which, in case you didn't know, is basically throwing a disc over your head so that it has this huge arc and comes down almost like a blade and then flattens out upside down. It's complicated to explain, but it's a hard throw to throw. Trust me. As he lets go of the disc, the crowd is at two in their countdown. The disc flies for a couple seconds until it connects perfectly with his teammate in the corner of the end zone for a goal. Unbelievable. Uh, what's it's just so ridiculous. And uh, an interesting fact is like Madison. Madison's like the, the pinnacle, and like they have like the most amount of people at their their stadiums. And there, it's crazy. I love I love playing there. The atmosphere. The the All Star game was there. It was crazy to see like the change of pace. Um, between the people, because when I'm playing there's a Thunderbird against Madison, they absolutely hate me. They absolutely yeah. bring me into some bad place too. That we want to talk about. Um, <laughs> and then when I was there at the All Star game, they're just like, "Oh my God, he plays for our team now. He's on ours." Like it was just a complete <laughs> flip uh, in people. But um, that moment where I throw that like that no look in stride hammer to Mark in the corner, and like they kept one of the things they do is they fake countdown, which is not very uh, respectful. But the fake countdown at the end of quarters, we talked about kind of those end of the quarter plays, how those yeah. do matter, and that was a very close game. And uh, they kept fake countdowning, and in, I don't know if you can see in the video, but um, I look at the clock behind me before I make the cut. And I don't think you see it in the video. And uh, I know, and I think it was off by a second or two, but uh, there was actually, when Mark caught the goal, there was actually 0.7 left. So I had wow. knew that that countdown was kind of accurate. So I was like, all right, I know Mark is back there. Uh, he's a great tall cutter. I knew he was be a good receiver. I knew he was like kind of back there. So I just was like, all right, I'm just like before I even like caught the disc, I was like, I'm throwing a hammer to the corner, no matter what the situation is right now. I really hope he doesn't go break side, which is the opposite side of the field. I just I caught it, spun, and it just felt great. It went on my hand great, and it just the rest is history. And I love that. I love watching that play. It's just like I laugh every time I see it. No, no doubt about it. <laughs> it's it, just so goofy. <laughs> and it made the AUDL's top 10 throws of the decade list. Uh, yeah, it was at number 10. I think it was number 10. That was where yeah. I saw it. <laughs> it's hilarious. Like I said, it makes me laugh every single time I see that throw. Just the way, just the way it comes out of my hand. It's just completely unpredictable. Um, and it was a good. It was a, a very well placed throw. So. Yeah. The uh, so I wanted to ask about the countdowns. So you looked at the clock. If the disc is in the air before and the timer goes to zero off yeah it's just is that the end of the play or do you wait till it lands that is a great question and that rule has changed but i believe if it is released out of my hand 
and caught, it is a goal. But as long as it's in my hand and the buzzer goes off, it counts as a turnover for me. Okay, so I was... Yeah. I didn't know it was a fake <laughs> countdown, and in the video that I saw, they didn't show a scoreboard or anything. So I'm like, yeah. is this a buzzer beater as well? How is this only number 10? <laughs> yeah, that was in the, I believe, the end of the third or the second quarter, I think it was. But um, yeah, they do, they do that fake countdown for every single quarter there. And so it's like, happens every single time. They try and bait the offense because if the other team is on offense, they do that for like, if there's like 10 seconds left, they'll, go, they'll start at three just to confuse you, you know? Like, or if there's like 20 seconds left, they'll start at like, like seven. Just to throw you off to be, you know, like I said, it's not very respectful, but it's funny. Like, it's, it's great. Crazy things come out of it, like my throw, for example. But yeah. um, it was kind of accurate. Uh, and the scoreboard on that field is, like, on the opposite side of where I threw it. So it's, like, on the opposite end. Um, and it was, it's only on one side where, like, the scaffolding and, like, the, uh, the booth is. So, yeah, the fans are, like, on a giant, like, half circle kind of uh, bleacher setup. So it's crazy. I, I, love, I love playing there. I love fans of niche sports because they get so into it and come up with things like that. There's nothing but Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ultimate fans are definitely very, very unique. Uh, I would say there's another fan like that uh, that happens. But other career moments are very good. Uh, I would say 2019 had a bunch of good ones as well. Uh, probably the most underrated one is probably um, the one in Detroit where I played a lot of points that game. And I remember a moment where it was in the fourth quarter. We just had to score. And um, I remember throwing like a 45-yard just like throw to the corner of an end zone to my, to my you know, partner in crime, Jimmy, who I played high school with. Uh, high school and not college because he went to Pitt and I went to Edinburgh. But um, we reunited back on throw. But like put up a throw at the end of a fourth quarter and just came off well. And it was perfectly in the corner of the end zone. So in like a, a game that we were down five goals and it was unheard of to come back from something like that. So that was a good moment, and obviously the uh, the sky in the Chicago game that got number two in the decade uh, skies of the past ten years. I know we're throwing a good amount of ultimate verbiage at you. I'll try to keep you up. A sky, for those who don't know, is when a player leaps up to catch a disc before it would eventually fall to them. Bonus points if you're fighting with an opponent for the disc in the air, like in Max's case here. I, I oh man, I. I guard myself every time I watch that because, you know, they kind of cut around the injury. But what ended up happening is I, I went up and I caught it. I made sure I caught it. And I had no idea, in, like, what kind of space I was under me. So what ended up happening is I guarded myself when I landed and I actually elbowed myself in the ribs. Ooh. And then I punched myself in the face with, with the other arm. So it was like a arrow. I had blood, like, dripping all from my gums. Um, and I ended up bruising a couple of my ribs in that play. and had to play the next day in Indy. So it was rough. It wasn't a lot of pain after that. Um, and as you can tell, they like cut around the video to try and help out with that um, <laughs> to make sure they got the correct highlight in. Um, but that's probably another career highlight that I will I will just for the hammer. It's just me laughing, and for that one, it's just pain. I can remember the pain exactly how you know people see it. So it's good and bad, pros and cons. <laughs> Different versions of uh, highs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Highs. Yeah, exactly. The I think I saw that play. I didn't uh I didn't have time to watch the top ten skies, but I saw the video where I believe it's you got I don't know how high off the ground and you basically fell over top of someone and it cut right before you actually landed yeah. and I was like, That wouldn't have felt good. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm. I came right in and even concussed my. I'm glad I landed on like my shoulder instead of like my head because, like I said, when I went up and I went straight up, I kind of didn't go straight. It was like kind of at an angle over him, and I I remember it and. I don't remember where, like, in space I was because of how high I was. This does not surprise me, because in the clip, Max looks like he jumps about four feet in the air, and that's only slightly exaggerating. And I just like, if he hits me, I could go head over heels and like have a serious injury. And thankfully, he kind of hit me in my left quad, which kind of sent me to my right, and then, like I said, elbow to ribs and then punch myself in the face kind of thing. So it's hard, it's hard to deal with those kind of situations when it's just so... Um, based off reaction, like there's something you can do. Once you've jumped and whatever happens after that is, you gotta know how to just brace yourself and take the hit, really. Yeah, wrong place, wrong time. Yeah, it could have been worse, thank God it wasn't. Because I was chasing a, a 50-50 uh, on the season the next day. So I was like, I was gonna play no matter what. Okay, if I broke my <laughs> right arm, I was gonna play. So. That would have been interesting to see. Trying to <laughs> yeah, play with playing one lefty. <laughs> yeah, I would have done it though, I wouldn't really have cared. Have you ever practiced throwing with your opposite hand? I I have practiced a bunch throwing opposite hand. So lefty throwing is kind of like a like a niche thing in our sport where um, gentle flicks like between like five and I would say I wouldn't say ten yards, but that like little area between where like because it takes a lot more like quicker wrist motion and with like a lefty backhand, it's a lot smoother. So yeah, I I have a lefty backhand in my tool, and I know. It, Hundreds and thousands of other people love throwing left-handed uh, backhand. So yeah, I have practiced a bunch of left things. Nice. Yeah. What are some of your future goals for your career in Ultimate? Oh man. Well, you know the dream ones: making a team compete on international level, getting that gold medal. Um, I would say obviously that gold medal on the international level, an ADL championship, or even making it to I think. I don't know, I kind of want the championship, I just don't want to make Final Four. Um, that's definitely one of the goals. Uh, and these are obviously long-term goals. Short-term goals are, are little 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 stepping stones towards the big one. But um, I would say a championship at almost at each level would be absolutely fantastic. Club, club pro, and international are the big three. Awesome. Because Ultimate and especially the AUDL are still such young leagues, it's or most players, if not all, also have day jobs. Would you mind me asking what your day job is? Yeah, so I'm basically like a, a pharmacy tech for CVS Health. Um, I'm, I work from home, which is very fortunate. Um, and I just basically make sure people have their drugs on a day-to-day -day basis um, of all ages, all kinds of food, uh, medications from CVS you might run into me, uh, <laughs> which could happen. <laughs> could happen. I have not run into anyone I have known yet because um, I deal with a lot of older people. Uh, in, in my business, uh, but like I said, I, it's, I run into all sorts of ages and people, so it's great to communicate on that level. But unfortunately, I'm very fortunate to live at home right now, and um, I just work out at night every single day. I work out on the weekend a ton too, in the athlete time. Is it difficult balancing being a pro athlete and having a day job as well? Yeah, I would say hmm, it is and it isn't because, like I said, I could be spending my time, you know, doing other things. Like I want to be doing something with a very active person. Um, but sometimes it is tough. Sometimes it is tough in terms of those programs. Like you drive to an away game, like in our old division, Midwest division, 
uh, we would drive uh, to like Indianapolis, which is like seven hours away, and the game starts at seven, six, seven o'clock, and you have to drive back the next day. And like when I was working my other job, I had to you work at six a.m. So if we're getting home at five in the morning, four, three, four in the morning, I gotta go to work at six. I used to work at YMCA. I used to work with kids in the porn after school program. So I was like, oh, I'm getting home at three a.m. and then now I wake up and. <laughs> and be active for these kids in the morning at 6 a.m. So that was always fun. That was always very interesting, getting all caffeinated up after a, a long away trip. Just be like, all right, kids, let's go. <laughs> um, and that was the best part. Um, I do miss those, and I'm looking forward to more of those away trips. Because those are the ones that were really a lot of fun. You spend a lot of, you spend a lot of time with uh, your teammates and your friends, and that's when memories are made. Is there a difference between uh, college and club and professional teams for uh, how you get to know your teammates and how well you know them? Yeah, I definitely say college, you make, you spend a lot, a lot of time in car rides because you go to these tournaments that are like pretty far away. And I went to Edinburgh, which is like super up north. So it's like, in order for us to go to a good tournament, we have to go to like Ohio, which is probably about a couple hour drive. Like sometimes you drive down to like North Carolina, which is like 10 hours from Edinburgh. <laughs> and you're like, oh man, you got to North Carolina. And getting back, like all those long hours in car rides, we still do them, um, kind of with pro and club like that. But like when you're at college, like you spend so much time with your teammates, you practice with them almost four days a week. You spend your time with them because they're your friends. So the closest bonds definitely come in college. Um, but yeah, it's kind of the same concept through you know away games and tournaments, club and pro. Interesting. Uh, are there any common jobs in Ultimate that people uh, hold? Because I assume you can't do something that needs you uh, constantly, if or yeah. it's helpful to have something that is more flexible. Um, I wouldn't say a lot of people that work in the medical field, but because um, that's usually like you know they demand weekend hours. Um, but people work around them. People do work, try and work on weekends and. Uh, and I know a lot of engineers uh, that have these jobs and they don't work on the weekends, so it works out well for them. Uh, I also know a lot of university physics people who are engineers, so that is probably our most common degree. Uh, and a lot of teachers as well. Teachers are a great job because I was actually going to become a teacher, and I still might do it because, you know, you, you basically through the fall and the spring you work, and then you have the whole summer off, which is very convenient. So a lot of teachers as well. Awesome. Uh, what is practice look like between a professional team and a college team so we practiced like oh man with edinburgh so we did a lot of indoor practicing <laughs> it was rough um but for like edinburgh we would kind of we should, every year change based on who was captain and uh the decisions that they made so it was like four days a week uh from like nine eight thirty to like nine we start and then we'd have the facility until it closed like 11 30 midnight uh, and he gave a class at 8 a.m., which is horrible. <laughs> so you get, like, no sleep. Like, it, college is rough. My senior year was horrible. I was taking, like, seven classes and being a captain and practicing at night and working out in the mornings. It was just 24 hours of just five, six hours of no sleep. It was crazy. And um, people still don't want to pay student-athletes. <laughs> yeah, it, it's crazy. It, it absolutely blows my mind that they don't want to do that because they don't understand, it's like, having an entire second job almost. Uh, especially because like the I think this like even like mainstream sports they they work out like I was probably doing the equivalent of what a, like a, a really you know dedicated athlete D1 athlete was doing in college it's taxing it's so unbelievably taxing to do all that and it's, like, it's all on your own dime so it's crazy but no to answer your question it was like 
four days a week, Monday through Thursday, we'd practice, and obviously Friday night off, Saturday night off. But like, I would still work out on those times um, because I wanted to be, you know, the best college player I could ever be. Um, you know, you're always trying to reach your peak as an individual at that point in time. So, yeah, it was four days a week, and then if we had a tournament, obviously, we would have a lighter practice on Thursday. Um, not as much running, more drilling, more throwing. So, and then in the pro, it's about uh, once a week. It's usually ours is like Wednesday nights for two or two and a half hours, usually what it is. Um, and obviously, we play on the weekend. That weekend. What are your expectations for the sport going forward? What's the future of Ultimate? I definitely think we have to raise the bar in terms of paying players and increasing the market. Obviously, it's not easy to get into. That costs a lot of money. Um, but there are tons of players that are getting paid. Like, in order for us to transition as better players, the better players have to ask for more money, I think. And that's going to put more, you know, financial, like, stress on the industry. So it's like, if we keep demanding more money or the players demand more money and we get bigger business owners involved, I think that that will continue to raise the bar um, and to grow from there. So, like I said, the ADL had a huge deal this past year in terms of um, it signed with uh, We Got the Shoots was a huge uh, brewing industry who donated a lot of money towards us. And uh, they're going to be part of our shorts this year, every team shorts. It was like a huge TV deal we had. Um, I think it was Fox Sports 3, actually, now that I think about it. Yeah, I think it was Fox Sports 3 or 2 that we were getting involved with. So it was going to be on regular TV for like the first time, like all the time ever, and we still broadcast it on there. Uh, even though we didn't have a season last year, we still ran like old championship games. So it's getting there. It's like, it's getting there. It's really on that brink of just like, we need to push a little bit more. I think like, I don't think in my time of the sport it'll really be a full professional sport. It's still like semi-pro basically. Like we still have day jobs and stuff like that. So I think in the long term, I think like 20 years, hopefully 10 years from now, because if you look at like 10 years ago, nothing even existed. So if you look at 20 years, 15 years from now, I think it'll be it'll be a lot more popular. And I think in terms of publicity uh, and watching it, it'll be a lot more accessible. And it only took a couple of years to get on like the SC top 10. So yeah, what yeah, happens when the players SC... are better and... Everything. It's going to be insane. Yeah, it's going to be absolutely incredible to watch. So in my freshman year of college, when I was planning on joining the Ultimate Team, I had a public speaking class I was taking in which we needed to prepare a speech on something we believed in. I ended up talking about how I believe Ultimate has a very bright future. Glad Max and I agree on this point. And hopefully I'm still around for it. So, <laughs> um, I'm still young. I'm still 25. I have a lot. Like, people usually start climbing Ultimate like late, late 20s, so... It's good to get a jump on it, um, but like I said, I think they got an SC Top 10 in like 2012, like the MOU, probably like MOU days, like 2012, 2011, there's like crazy layouts they would have, like double ricochets off of uh, catches they would have. I'm pretty sure it was like 2012, 2013 years is when those, they were starting to the SC Top 10. And that's a huge platform, like hundreds of thousands of people watch, even millions of people watch some of those Top 10 plays. So, I mean, I watch Sports Center in the morning just to watch Top 10 plays just to see what's going on. So it just goes to show you, like, it's it's getting there. It's getting there. Yeah, over time, it. I remember the moment when I first saw it on SC Top 10, and I had played with friends and, like, Boy Scouts just tossing a Frisbee around. It's like, oh, you could actually play this, and this is really cool. So, yeah, I mean, that was how I got into it. So I'm sure as uh, 
as that keeps getting into households, it'll just get exponentially. It will grow exponentially. Yeah, definitely. It's just all about publicity and how the ADL markets it. I feel like it's slowly getting there. We're slowly, <laughs> like I said, we're slowly breaking into the to the national news and national you know attention that it really deserves. There's other sports that like lacrosse and other sports that are just as popular, um, and they're getting that those times as well. Yeah. So obviously, as we've already mentioned, the 2020 AUDL season was sadly canceled for obvious reasons. It's had a huge impact on all of us. But I want to get your inside view. What is it for? What's it like for a young league and uh, and professional players to lose a season? I would say, in terms of progress, it definitely puts us back. I think in terms of like new content, it definitely puts us back because you only reuse so much film because we're a new league. Like, oh, you've seen that play so many different times, so many different ways, you know. Um, I think because of the whole restructure of the uh, the divisions that they had this year, it's definitely going to make things very, very interesting. Um, there have been so much great content, and it's a shame it didn't happen. But I'm really hoping the deal happens this this upcoming year, um, this upcoming spring and summer, uh, because that fresh content, you know, we don't want to put back any longer than we need to be. You know, like I said, that whole progression is extremely great, and so people can actually make this a professional sport. Um, you got to carve the way and. Missing a year does hurt, and if we do miss this upcoming year, it'll hurt even more. So we're really hoping to make things happen this year. Across our fingers. Now, for this upcoming year, if for a potential fan or athlete considering either attempting to start Ultimate or starting to watch it, what would you say to get them interested? Yeah, I definitely would bring up AUDL TV and the AUDL website. They have a great website, you know, that contributes to, you know, how to play the game, uh, all the team's access. Like I said, if you're in your area, um, and how it worked before basically is that you just go to the open trial. Anyone can try out for these teams. It doesn't matter if you make it or not. It's about gaining experience to, to further make it if you have to. And if you have the ability in your raw athleticism, you can definitely make uh, one of these teams and get better from there. But I say the AUDL has all the resources. Uh, use the internet and uh, word of mouth definitely helps. I think in, like person-to-person interaction and hearing someone's experience definitely uh, will convince you. Will can definitely convince you to play. Um, and that's like the ultimate resources. Uh, I think it's person-to-person really. So it's fantastic. And I'm like I'm open to talk about it with anyone and everyone because I think it changes your life. It changed my life when I was 14, 15 years old, and look where it's brought me. So like I say, it can happen to everyone. It's a great sport. The people are amazing. The fans are amazing. So appreciative. It's it's really a great community. Awesome. Is there anything else you wanted to mention, uh, Max, before I wish you good luck for 2021? No, not really. We covered everything in terms of how to play Ultimate, where you can get, uh, where you can get access at, uh, kind of my background story, how I started. Um, so I wish it really you know, enlightens people to play more, uh, get out there, even, like grow, get cleats. Um, get involved in any way that you possibly can um, and like I said just get out and throw and keep working hard really I mean it's, it actually takes a little bit of skill to get involved in the person but like I said there's all levels of ultimate really um, at the recreational level at the upper level club level like I said you can get involved in any way shape or form even if you have fun organizing tournaments and stuff like that um, you can definitely get involved in something like that so Max Shepard, thank you so much, and good luck for your future in Ultimate. Thank you. I hope we have a hope we have a season so coming here, so we get to watch more of the Pittsburgh Thunderbirds and myself uh, try and compete for a championship. Of course.
A huge thanks again to Max Shepard for joining me and talking all things Ultimate. I'd also like to thank our mutual friend Graham for reaching out to Max on my behalf so that this episode could happen. I'd love to hear any ideas you have for niche sports and athletes I should reach out to for an episode. So send me a DM at Butler on the Air, really anywhere online. I'm excited to hear your ideas. It would also help the podcast out a ton if you subscribed wherever you get your podcasts and left a review. Apparently, you can get the Ocho on Audible now? I didn't know that was an option. Anyway, each review helps get the show in a bunch of new ears, and I'd greatly appreciate your 30 seconds of help. Until next time, I'm Tommy Butler, and you've been listening to The Ocho.